0: Welcome to Oppenheimer's Let's Talk Future podcast. In this format, we bring you timely and relevant conversations with thought leaders and industry experts. Join us as we explore new ways of thinking about the markets, investing, business, new technologies, and life in general. If you enjoy this podcast, be sure to click on the subscribe button. Now here's Peter Cattare, head of sales and marketing for Oppenheimer Asset Management with Anusha Rodriguez, Managing Director and Director of Research for Oppenheimer Asset Management, and the Head of Alternative Investments.
1: Welcome to today's episode of Oppenheimer and Company's Let's Talk Future podcast. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into the world of alternative investments, an area of tremendous interest to our investors, an area that's proven once again to be beneficial if carefully applied within a portfolio and an area with a huge opportunity set for potential investors. And today we plan to take a top-down look at the state of the alternative investments industry, how it's faring in this uncharted economic and market environment, the evolution of the alternative investment space, what's new, trends, and the democratization of hedge funds in the form of liquid alternatives. We plan to discuss the efforts of Oppenheimer Asset Management's due diligence team, their unique focus on boutique emerging managers, labeled as our discovered managers approach, what they're seeing in terms of talent migration and trends in the space, and finally take a look at what's ahead on the horizon for alternative investments. My co-host today is a true expert in the field of alternative investments, Anusha Rodriguez, Managing Director, Director of Research for Oppenheimer Asset Management and the Head of Alternative Investments. Anusha, welcome to our podcast.
0: Thank you, Peter. Thank
1: you. You wear many hats here at Oppenheimer, obviously, but focusing on the alternative investments discussion, describe your day-to-day responsibilities as the head of research for the team.
0: Well, thank you, Peter. My team's role here at Oppenheimer is really to canvas the landscape of alternatives and look at all of the different funds that are out there, find the ones that we think will be suitable for our client base and our portfolios, and bring those onto the platform. So that due diligence process, which we'll get into later, But that due diligence process is really our key attribute to what our responsibilities are. Once a fund comes on the platform, we continue monitoring them. We service the financial advisors here to help them understand why they chose to invest with the fund on the platform and why they should continue to invest with that manager or make changes if that's. The, that's the correct path that we should be going down. This is across all of the roles within asset management. So on the mutual funds and separately managed account side as well as the alternative side.
1: So the hedge fund or alternative investment space, I would say is relatively long, young in general, but you've spent your whole career in the space. You have a tremendous network that you've built, which is crucial to your research efforts. You know, it started with your early career. It started with your time at MIT. It started with your time at Wharton. Talk a bit about your professional network and you know, the relationships you have in the alternative investment space.
0: The educational background is really interesting. So I went to MIT as an undergrad and Wharton Business School. What you learn from a place like MIT is that you can really analyze anything. You can put your team and your efforts around looking into the details around any sort of investment that you're told to look at. The decision to go to business school at Wharton and to get an MBA was really, it's been 10 years now, but the idea was I wanted to come out and create a network of people who were investing in alternatives. So they are the people who we can source for references or we can source to add to the platform. They are people who we can get market insight into, and at the same time, they can end up being clients as well. And so I think that the network from the Wharton program was really what I was looking for when I went to a, a business degree there.
1: Well, we've spent, you know, I would say a decade together as colleagues, and I think in almost every circumstance, you've been able to say, I can pick up the phone and call someone here or there, because I went to business school with them or I went to undergrad with them. So it's clearly a beneficial, beneficial component. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about real time. Let's talk about the environment we find ourselves now and how, from your perspective, are hedge funds holding up in this environment? We've obviously seen five unprecedented months, unusual economic policy, and and lots of unique things. So how do you gauge the hedge fund space right now?
0: Before I talk about the current environment, I wanna talk a little bit about how we were talking about alternatives a few years ago. In 2016, our team wrote a piece called Why Hedge Funds Are Living Up to Their Billing. And what we were looking at is that you see a lot in the press about how at that period, hedge funds were underperforming, alternatives were underperforming, why should you be invested with these? And we really were analyzing what was happening with these managers in periods of stress. And since 2008, we've seen a few market stresses that were worth looking at back in 2016. So we looked at um, months where the S&P was down. We looked at macro scenarios where the market was down. And we really were able to show that we thought that the diversification benefits really made sense even then. And so now fast forward to today. Um, earlier this year we published volume two of the same piece why hedge funds are living up to their billing and we were really looking at what hedge funds are doing in a client portfolio we analyzed what the hfri composite index relative performance was to the s p during the most recent market downturn and you saw that in every month january february and march they were able to protect the portfolio providing substantial benefit regarding downside protection We looked at the same uh, analysis of relative performance in down periods and relative performance in these market scenarios like Brexit, China fears, US debt downgrade, oil price drop, Greece financial crisis and the coronavirus outbreak. And all of these macro environments, you see that the benefit that the alternatives were providing ranged from around one to 2%, but all the way up to 22% outperformance in this coronavirus period. So these managers really, if they've been active, they've really been able to protect the portfolio. We look for three components when we're evaluating a manager's returns. Some of it is alpha, which is their excess return over the market. We look at beta, which is the return attributable to their exposure. But we also look at their exposure management. How much are they exposed to the market? And you can do this even on the long-only side of the portfolio. Some of our more active long-only managers use cash as that ability to protect the portfolio. And that's really beneficial in a client portfolio also when you're looking for diversification.
1: Is it fair to say, Anusha, that alpha is generated really at those market inflection points as opposed to during the environments when they're smooth sailing and the rising tide is lifting all boats?
0: Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, what we expect from most of these managers is that they will protect on the downside, but also participate on the upside. We look at the, just as an example, if the market's down 10% or a fund is down 10%, they have to make 11% gain to recover from that drawdown. And a 25% loss will take a 33% gain to break even. And that, alone makes it difficult to come out of a downturn. So if you have a manager who is able to protect more on the downside, they may participate less on the upside, but overall we see them being able to generate risk-adjusted returns that we think are beneficial in a portfolio.
1: So in this most specific environment, what are those strategies or areas broadly that have shown the greatest strength or benefit to the clients?
0: We've seen long short equity managers do really well in this environment. The ones that have a flexible exposure management or who have the tools to protect the portfolio either through options or very active short positions in the portfolio.
1: Flexible meaning flexible on net long and short?
0: Yes, flexible right. meaning they're the amount of exposure they have to the market at that time. So at certain times they may have more net long bias and at certain times they may reduce that. And they have lots of tools that they can use to reduce that exposure. They can use options, they can use shorts, they can use ETS. Um, there are ways to bring that down very quickly, and we've seen them do that almost overnight in this period. Our interaction with our managers in this period was extremely heightened to understand what they were doing on a daily basis, and that was very important to us. So we're seeing long-short equity as a really interesting space. Uh, We continue to see event-driven managers as an interesting asset class where it is meant to be truly diversified exposure to a portfolio that is not as susceptible to the market, um, market shocks that we've seen so far, and this has been true over the lifespan of some of these managers on the platform. We've really seen a shift in clients' interest into private equity. And a lot of that is because if you can trade off some of the liquidity that is required to make these investments, then there's a lot of benefits to being into, in these types of managers. And so we've seen a big shift from how people are using alternatives and how much they're willing to put into private equity or private credit um, type managers with a longer lockup.
1: Let's talk for just a minute about event driven investing. So give an example of what an event driven manager might do. I know you've written uh, a fair amount about the space and have educated our investors about it over the last several years. So talk for a minute about what an event driven manager might be doing in this environment.
0: A lot of the event driven managers we have on the platform are focused on merger arbitrage. So they're looking at announced deals that they're able to capitalize on where they see the spread in the deal that's being announced and they're able to participate in that um, arbitrage opportunity. The other aspect of Event Driven that's been extremely interesting currently is the increase in the distressed opportunity right now. We are seeing managers raise very, very large funds in the distressed space and able to deploy that capital fairly quickly. Um, We think that there will be an increase in that opportunity set this year and going into next year. So I think that the, those two components, with an event-driven, are really key to their uncorrelated return drivers in a client's portfolio.
1: And you mentioned private equity. I guess maybe that's a, that's an interesting topic to move into. Talking about private equity, obviously one of the reasons private equity has become so attractive has been changes in the public equity markets over the last 10 years, 15 years. Talk a little bit about those changes and how you've viewed
0: them. The opportunity set in the private market, whether it's the long-term buyout type traditional private equity or shorter-term opportunity set, is really because companies are staying private longer. If you look at the stats of the S&P 500 from 1996 to 2016, over that 20-year period, the number of private companies in the S&P 500 that generate more than 20% revenue growth has been cut in half over that 20 year period. And this is because more companies are finding financing in the private sector. So they're able to stay private longer, they're able to generate more attractive returns for their shareholders without becoming a public company. Over the same time period, the number of companies in the S&P 500 growing at that amount has halved And the average age of these companies is 50% older and roughly four times larger than it was 20 years ago. So those are some sort of things that about the S&P 500 that you can look at to sort of understand why a company might stay private longer. And if more companies are staying private longer, that provides an opportunity in spaces like private credit or direct lending, because there are sources of private capital that can give them financing to to remain private. And there are sources of capital in the growth space that can allow a small growing company to stay private longer and not have to go public. And so we are seeing a lot of opportunity. We've so far avoided the 10-year lockup traditional buyout private equity space. We think that you can get similar type of return goals from a fund with a much shorter liquidity terms. And we've been seeing a lot of interest in single company investments as well. So we call that here a private market opportunity platform, where the goal is to allow clients to choose the, ma- the companies that they can invest in. We offer that to them directly, and they can build their own diversified portfolio. And that's been a really interesting new space for us to be going into in the last few years.
1: So that sort of, I guess, lends itself to a, an interesting topic, which has been the evolution of the alternative investment space. In the you know, decade and a half you've been involved in the alternative investment space, you've seen many new structures, many things happen. Um, talk a little bit about new ideas you see on the horizon. Obviously, you've led our firm's effort in identifying opportunity zones and some of the associated investments. So what's new in the space?
0: The asset growth has really been tremendous it's tripled to nine point five trillion dollars over the past decade It's expected to grow to fourteen trillion by two thousand twenty three um, you bring up opportunity zones I think that is a, an extremely unique Space that we were able to identify a couple years ago. The Opportunity Zone program was part of the JOBS Act a few years ago where we were able to offer clients investments within Opportunity Zones and they got three key benefits. They could reduce the taxable amount they were owed today, they could defer those taxes, and the amount that they were investing in now was growing tax-free until the liquidation of the product if they held it for 10 years. So those three key benefits we think really could add three to four percent returns to a client's portfolio just by just through the tax benefit. And that's been a really unique opportunity. I think it's similar to the conversations ten or so years ago we were having about ESG or we were having about liquid alts. I mean, those were new asset classes 10 to 15 years ago, and now they're becoming a lot more mainstream. I think those are places where we can find differentiated offerings and help build diversified portfolios for clients. We've really been focused here on innovation and disruption in terms of technology for a theme. Some of the winners in this environment this year are the ones who are able to pivot quickly to uh, being online, being able to still connect with their clientele, being able to provide a solution during this work-from-home environment. And those types of technology solutions has really been a big driver of opportunity for us on the liquid investment side as well as the illiquid investment side.
1: So let's touch on liquid alternatives for just a minute. And it's kind of paralleled your career, the development of the liquid alternative investment space. It's really 10 or so years old and has continued to mature What are your thoughts on the space how are you utilizing it do you see value in liquid alternatives talk about those for just a minute
0: it's a space that has evolved a lot uh,
1: to just define that liquid alts meaning mutual fund structure
0: so liquid alternatives being mutual funds separately managed accounts etfs daily liquid structures within alternatives there are a few asset classes that lend themselves to a liquid alternative strategy better given the daily liquidity they provide we look at long short equity merger arbitrage and macro funds predominantly. We have a few real estate offerings on the REIT side that we would classify as liquid alternatives as well. We have found managers that are beneficial in a client portfolio. They can add diversification to a client. They can do some of the things we were talking about earlier by limiting your losses in order to win in the long term. And if you're trying to add diversification tools for all of your clients in the portfolio, this is one tool that we think is worth looking at.
1: So that's part of, obviously, your research and, and your due diligence. So let's, let's talk about that for just a few minutes. You've spent the last several years building a very unique approach to due diligence, where, unlike many uh, research firms that simply go to the biggest names, the most well-known names, you and your team have spent a great deal of time, traveled a number of miles, done thousands of meetings to really identify a unique subset of hedge funds, private equity, and alternative managers. Talk a little bit about your approach to research and how deep that space of discovered managers is right now.
0: There are some statistics out there about the number of funds in the industry. It's somewhere in the order of twenty to 30,000 alternative funds out there now. So that's a lot of managers to cover or to look at. Um, Our team does about 500 meetings per year with managers, and less than 1% of those make it onto the platform in a given year. So we're very specific in what we're looking for in managers. The discovered manager focus is really what brought me to Oppenheimer and what makes this role really unique. We've decided to focus on that here in the time I've been at Oppenheimer We're really looking for managers who have consistency across all of the different types of questions we're asking them. So we focus on zeroing in on what is their philosophy? Why do they think markets are inefficient? And what do they do to capitalize on that? What's their strategy? What is their team and their business and their firm look like? What is their investment process? How do they source ideas? How do they think about risk management? And after we've understood what their fund is like, we do an independent operational review by a team at Oppenheimer, and we focus a lot on a business analysis of the fund. This is not something you have to do when you're looking at a $20 billion fund necessarily, but if you're looking at a small manager who is about to launch their product and Only has five to ten million dollars in assets, you want to understand where the working capital is coming from and how they're able to run the operation of their business. That part of our analysis is very, very important, especially when we look at small managers. These are not Young 20-year-old analysts in a garage with a Bloomberg, although maybe this year they are in their garage, but typically these are people with 10 to 20 years of experience and have been number one or number two people at larger established firms in charge of running capital, but they're leaving to put their name on the door. We really think of it as a piece of a puzzle. We're trying to put together all of these different answers and making sure everything fits. And if it does, then we think about where this fits into our portfolio. And do we think that clients will really utilize this? Do we think it'll be additive and beneficial given all of the other exposures our clients already have? I think one of the key things to our process that's also very different is there is no checklist. There's no yes or no, right or wrong answer to any question. There are times where some manager may buy a stock if it's down 10 or 20% because they're more value oriented and they think that this is now a better value. And there are times where a manager will cut the position completely and exit it if it's down 10%. Those are both correct answers if it fits in with their philosophy and their strategy and how they've described their process. The risk management component is extremely important to us. And it was the key in analyzing the manager's success or failures this year or in any year. Um, And we, this year, were able to communicate with them nearly on a daily basis in the March and April time period to understand how they were moving to a remote environment, how their business operations were continuing, and most importantly, how they were thinking about building the portfolio during that period how
1: would you describe if there's a way to put a statistic around an anusha the batting average of a manager coming through your due diligence you said one in 1% and 500 is that really accurate is that the the filter that it would take
0: that's really the number um i know it sounds really low but there are years where we've approved zero funds and i think in the most active year it's been about four or five managers that we've added we have a really concentrated approach to bringing solutions to clients. We really provide them with advice. We build custom portfolios for every single one of our clients. And so when they're looking to build a portfolio, it's across all of asset management. So it includes fixed income, it includes our long-only team, and it includes alternatives. Alternatives are really a part of the solution. We don't think of them as a substitute. We think of it as a complement to traditional investments that clients have in the portfolio. We put long short equity or venture capital and private equity right alongside your $20 billion long only technology mutual fund. Um, We think that that's how you should assess the portfolio. That's how the endowments are looking at it. They look at what are the underlying exposures that my fund is invested in, and that's where you're taking your risk exposure. So, for example, when we think about equities, you have an option between active and passive, and within active exposure, you have an option between long only and long short. And I think that that enables you to think about having a larger allocation to long short. It enables you to think about where these managers can really fit into your overall goals of asset allocation. And that's how the endowments and foundations have always been looking at alternatives. It's not its own sleeve. It's how does it work across the entire portfolio.
1: Right. So, Let's sort of look ahead a little bit and talk about the future of alternatives if we can. What are some of the things you're keeping an eye on, both in terms of the market and trends in the industry that you think will really define the back half of 2020 and set the tone for 2021?
0: I think there are a couple of specific areas that we think the opportunity lies in. We expect a lot more volatility going into the end of the year. In any election year, there's usually volatility throughout that period, um, but particularly in the October through December period when we start to get closer to the election. So we're looking for managers that are extremely active and flexible um, on the more liquid hedge fund side. Uh, Within Event Driven, we continue to look for managers that we think can find opportunities in the distress space. We think that that's going to be a really big opportunity Um, for some very specific industries in the next six to 12 month period to be able to deploy capital. Um, There are a number of managers that we've looked at on the private space. So whether that's shorter term, three to five year type events that we think will occur. Um, But as the IPO market opens up, I think that the private market for us now will be interesting to source late stage opportunities that clients can invest in and we see an event in a 12- to 24-month period.
1: Anusha, just one more sort of topic to cover before we wrap up today. I know one of the things you're asked quite a bit from our investors is, when is a good time to add capital to the alternative investment space, given where the public markets are trading right now and the volatility that may be on the horizon? When is a good time to put capital in that space?
0: So alternative investments play a key role in portfolios In our view, during all stages of market cycles, but especially during periods of volatility. And the reason I say all stages is because it's hard to time that perfectly. So if you're investing during periods of volatility, you likely should have been invested slightly before that to sort of gauge and be fully invested during that volatile period. And the alternative strategies really have a number of tools available to them to hedge and protect a portfolio, and that provides unique benefits to enhance portfolio construction. And the end goal is always to r- improve risk adjusted returns. We think that by developing a thorough understanding of the role alternative investments play in a portfolio really can help investors better use them in constructing portfolios. The OAM alternatives team really strives to educate investors on how to allocate to alternatives while maintaining appropriate investment expectations. We talked a lot about how managers are able to protect on the downside and maybe that results in them participating less on the upside. But overall, we think that a stable allocation towards alternatives really makes sense in a client's portfolio.
1: Thank you very much, Anusha, and I appreciate your thoughts. We covered a lot of ground. Um, I think as key takeaways, you know, three points were, were made loud and clear to me. Number one is the continued benefits alternative are playing in client portfolios in this period of volatility, in gaining access to real talent and gaining access to unique investment opportunities. Uh, you, you've made some great points about the talent migration and the continued focus on boutique, emerging, uh, unique managers being available in the alternative space to our research. Um, and certainly made some clear points about the unique opportunity set available to investors in the alternative space. So thank you very much for spending a half hour with us. Thanks for sharing your insight. I appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll wrap it up here. Thanks
0: very much. Thank you, Peter.